Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. When you think about the relationship between a pastor and the church, what word would you use to describe that relationship? Over the years, for better or worse, many people tend to place their own expectations on what that relationship should look like. Uh, More often than not, that relationship tends to be very one-sided. The church needs to be cared for and shepherded, and the pastor and church leadership is responsible for that shepherding. Uh, That's the pattern that we see in Scripture. And, And by the way, it's a massive responsibility for the leadership the Lord has called into those places, uh, one that the Bible says will be judged more strictly. But is there ever any reciprocity? In, in other words, is there, is there any way that a church can in turn be a blessing to their pastor or church leadership? Is there any responsibility on behalf of the church to care for their pastor, to care for their church leadership? Well, if you were to ask Paul what word he would use to describe the church, he would use the word partner. In fact, that's the first big idea from today's passage. Number one, the church was a partner. Paul writes this in Philippians 4, Still you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. Paul uses the word partner to describe the Philippian church. This means that Paul viewed the church as people who were in the trenches with him, serving alongside of him and were people who had skin in the game. Uh, You may or may not know this, ministry can be a very lonely profession oftentimes. Uh, But Paul knew that he had the Philippian church that he could lean on, that he could depend on. He says they partnered with him in his hardship. Remember, as Paul is penning these words, he's under house arrest, isolated, essentially being persecuted for his faithfulness to sharing the gospel. This is something a true partner in ministry does. They're not around only in seasons of abundance, but also in seasons of scarcity. A true partner doesn't pack up and leave when times get tough. I just need to remind you, at the risk of sounding self-serving, what is being described here in this section of Paul's letter is a very specific relationship. We read elsewhere in the Bible about general examples of generosity, how to treat brother, sister, and neighbor. But Paul is writing about his relationship and partnership with the Philippian church. Remember, who is Paul to these people? He's their pastor, their founder. The church partnered with him not just when his ministry was booming and churches were being planted and people were coming to faith, but even in his hardship, imprisoned, possibly waiting for his death. And so I want to give you guys five ways to partner with your pastor. I know this sounds self-serving, but hey, I'm your pastor now, but maybe one day you'll move away or God will move you to a different place. Or you might enter a different season of life, or you might just wake up and hate my guts one day for no reason. So this will still be helpful for you. All right, Five ways to partner with your pastor. Under letter A, you can write down pray. You can pray with and for your pastor and their family regularly. The pastor and his family is under constant spiritual attack because their job and their purpose in life is literally to rip people away from the grip of Satan and keep them on the path to life in Christ and mobilize these people to be on mission. And so obviously our spiritual enemy isn't happy with that. So you want to constantly bathe them in your prayers. 
you can partner with letter B, words of encouragement. So often, church leaders are inundated with bad news all the time because obviously you always want to share your struggles. You want to seek counsel. You want to be prayed for. You want to receive encouragement. So you share some of your darkest moments of your life with your spiritual leaders. Uh, additionally, many people are, let's just say, very opinionated. So perhaps you like to share your opinion about how awful the sermon was last Sunday, how you don't appreciate XYZ was handled, how they're doing a horrible job at raising their kids. And so there tends to be a lot of discouragement. So to be a partner, you can share words of encouragement, share positive words that build up, share good news as well so it can be celebrated, share an encouraging scripture to help build them up. Okay, uh, Letter C, you can also care for his family. Oftentimes there's a level of expectation that is placed on the pastor's family that is simply impossible for them to keep up with. Uh, they're the pastor, so obviously their marriage has to be perfect. Their kids have to be perfect kids. Their home has to be immaculate and spotless. But nothing could be further from the truth because at the end of the day, the pastor and his family are simply normal people who received a calling from God and stepped into that calling as, a fact, as an act of faith and obedience. So you can care for his family. Uh, take their kids under your wing and give them encouragement. Extend grace to them. Speak life to them. Pray with and for them. Crack jokes with them. Get to know them. Give them counsel. Share wisdom. Love them as your own. Care for the pastor's family. Another way that you can partner is letter D, is to be on mission. Uh, in other words, generously support the local mission of your pastor and the church. Learn the mission. Believe in the mission. Give and support the mission. And then beyond that, live on mission and support the outreaches and activities of the local church. As the local church extends its hands to love and serve its community, plug into that and serve as well. And lastly, you can partner when you, letter E, grow spiritually. Grow spiritually. Take what you're being taught seriously enough that you actually begin to grow as a disciple of Jesus. And nothing gives a pastor more joy than to see his flock grow spiritually. And that means that as you grow, as you mature as a follower of Jesus, you can begin to shoulder some of the burden of ministry so that it doesn't all fall on the shoulders of a few people. But that as you grow in understanding and maturity as a follower of Christ, you discover how God has equipped you to serve in and through the local church. That means you give God your yes and you allow Him to use you as He wills. Okay, the second big idea from today's passage is this, number two. And that is that the church got it. They got it. And Paul writes this in verse 15. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. You guys know that Paul was a serial church planter. He went around starting churches, sharing the gospel, discipling people in their faith, and raising up leaders. And here Paul shares a huge compliment of the church in Philippi. He says, you guys were the only ones that got it. Get this, while Paul is shaking and baking, the church in Philippi is active, getting behind Paul, supporting the work, not for Paul's sake, not for the sake of their own local church, but for the sake of the gospel work needing to be planted in those who had yet to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. They got it. Hey, do you get it? Have you gotten it yet? There's nothing more special than seeing people grow, not just in their spiritual knowledge and knowledge of God and knowledge of His Word, but beyond that, 
It is such a beautiful sight to see people go from spiritual consumer to spiritual contributor. And what that looks like is not just simply coming to get fed, to get your needs met, to fill your cup, but now it looks like you begin to feed others with what you just ate. You get out and are able to meet needs and serve others. From the overflow of your cup, you can now fill the spiritual cups of others. You are able to give encouraging words to others. You're able to lay hands and pray for others. You're able to sit down and explain the gospel to someone. You can help disciple others and help them understand and grow into becoming disciples of Christ. For Paul, in his early days, he was doing ministry just on fire for God. And who was fueling those flames? The church in Philippi. Because they just got it. They understood the urgency of the task. They saw their role in the equation and they stepped up to the plate. The third way that the church was a partner is this. Number three, the church gave ongoing support. And Paul wrote this in verse 16. He says this, For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my need several times. For the church in Philippi, this wasn't a one-shot deal. They continued to give the support and encouragement to Paul as they were able. They were playing the long game, realizing that this mode of partnership, this level of generosity was going to be an ongoing thing. The idea here is the idea of faithfulness and commitment. This provided a level of stability to Paul and his ministry. Paul knew that he could count on the church in Philippi to fuel the mission of the gospel through his ministry. So he knew that they could be trusted. They were faithful servants, completely bought in. Guys, it's extremely difficult to build a ministry when there is instability. It's extremely difficult to build and sustain a ministry when there is no commitment or buy-in. By the way, can I be honest with you guys? This is something that is particularly difficult to create in New York City. And this is why so many church plants and churches close down. There's a lack of ongoing support and commitment. And then it becomes unstable and the church closes down. Are you a faithful contributor to the mission and gospel work at your local church? How would you measure your level of commitment to your local church? Do you attend whenever you feel like waking up on a Sunday? Or if you're not too tired on an evening for a life group? Are you a person that can be trusted and counted on when the need arises? Are you ready, willing, and able to serve as needed? Willing to step up to the plate and fill the capacity that's needed? Can it be said of you that your local church is growing and better yet thriving because you are actively committed, actively giving, actively contributing to the church's mission and vision, actively growing as a disciple of Jesus, actively investing in the spiritual growth of others? Or is it just once in a while, when you're up to it, when you feel like it, after you've done everything else that you've wanted to do, and then maybe, just maybe, you give the leftovers of your time, talent, and treasure. Guys, it is extremely difficult to walk the road to sustainability if there is no ongoing support. And if you don't know where the resources are going to come from to pay the bills, if you don't know if anyone is even going to come to church this week, is anyone going to provide to help and serve our neighbors? But you see, guys, the church in Philippi, they could be counted on. They were dependable. They were faithful. They were committed to the gospel and to their pastor. Paul could count on them. And what they did was they gave generously. And here's a principle that we learn all throughout Scripture in regards to generosity. Number four in your notes. God blesses those who give generously. And Paul writes this in verse 17. 
not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing, not to his account, but to your account. You see, Paul knew this principle, and that is that you can't outgive God. God is a generous God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And when you are generous, you reflect God's generosity because we're made in his image. And when you reflect his generosity and give, God gives you more to reflect his generosity more. Paul knew that as they gave to support his work and ministry, they would likewise be on the receiving end of God's blessings and support. And so Paul was essentially excited for them and that he knew that they would be on the receiving end of the Lord's blessings and provision as a reward for their faithfulness and generosity. And it was like the church in Philippi knew, and Paul also knew, what my great-grandfather knew, like I mentioned two weeks ago. My great-grandfather would always say, don't steal my blessing. He knew that it was more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul knew that, that God would reward the generosity of the Philippians. And guys, this is a principle that we see all throughout Scripture. I'm not talking about some prosperity gospel nonsense. People that teach the prosperity gospel say that essentially God wants you to be blessed, not broke. So sow a seed into this ministry and God will give you a hundredfold of what you invested. That stuff is nonsense. And you have to beware of false teachers that try to take advantage of innocent and sometimes gullible people in order to profit off the gospel. They wear suits and they carry a Bible, but it doesn't mean that they're teaching the truth or, 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 or teaching something that is remotely rooted in Scripture. However, the truth of the matter is that you can't outgive God. And when you honor God with your finances, and when you give generously and invest back into the kingdom, in particular through the local church, He rewards your faithfulness. Now, here's a truth I wish you all would understand and take to heart this morning. The reason many people get on edge when we talk about generosity and finances is because money is a very powerful God. Money is an idol to most. It is a possession that many hold dear. And since that is the case, whenever you poke and prod at someone's small g God, they get very jealous and defensive. But the principle we see all throughout Scripture is that all of the world and everything in it belongs to God. All the riches, all the livestock, all the people, the moon, the sun, the stars, God owns that. So that job that you got, the 401k you've accumulated, your savings, your assets, all belong to God. How do we know that? It's simple. The only reason you've got the help to do that job and accumulated the 401k and have everything in your savings and have the assets that you do is because God has chosen to put air in your lungs and sustain the universe by his word. But the moment the Lord says, all right, son, all right, daughter, it's time for you to come home, guess what? None of it goes with you. And so the Bible teaches us that everything belongs to God, but he entrusts us to be stewards of the resources he's given us. A steward is a manager. You are a manager of the resources God has given you, including your time, talent, and treasure. And when you are a good steward of the resources God has given you, and you give generously to God's kingdom work, there is a multiplicative effect. God is able to multiply what we give generously and sometimes even sacrificially give. Uh, let me give you an example from the scriptures. Jesus is teaching thousands of people when all of a sudden people's tummies start to growl. A little boy passes by with five loaves of bread and two small fish. It was likely his family's lunch for the day. The boy surrenders his meal to Jesus and the disciples. Jesus blesses the food and the disciples begin to distribute and feed every single person in the crowd. And not only is everyone fed, 
but they're able to collect 12 baskets left over of bread and fish. How can that be? Listen to me. God's economy is different than ours. That's why it's foolish for us to hold on so tightly and selfishly, first of all, to what doesn't even belong to us in the first place, and secondly, to that which God could do so abundantly more with than we ever could. But when you live with an open hand, when you live understanding that you are a steward and a manager of God's resources, God blesses your generosity and good management. You cannot outgive God. And this is a proven fact. This is proven in the fact that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God gave himself to resurrect dead people and make them children of God. God gave us his son who lived the perfect and sinless life so that he could lay down his life to satisfy the punishment owed us for our sin. And on the third day, he rose from the grave so that all who put their faith in Jesus can have forgiveness of sin and new life. And now from a place of new identity as forgiven, love, and children of God, we can form from an overflow of gratitude, live generously, trusting God that no one can outgive him. So when we give, he blesses. And from an overflow of gratitude and out of obedience to his word and his design for kingdom living, we can be partners of the mission and vision of our local churches. We can be partners with our church leaders and pastors. We can live generously and view our resources, view our time, talent, and treasure, not as ours, but as God's. And so we simply steward. We're managers of God's resources. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opportunities to partner. Help us to step into the role of partners, not simply receiving, not simply as consumers. Help us become contributors. God, I pray you help us to live open-handed. Help us to live generously. I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people to such a degree that we would trust you and honor you as we give to fuel your mission through our local church. God, help us to be good stewards of the resources you've given us. If we've had a distorted or selfish view of our resources or if we've turned these things into idols, we beg for forgiveness and ask you to empower us to be good managers of your blessings. We praise you that no one can outgive you. Thank you for Jesus who laid down his life so that we can become children of God. For those on the fence of their faith, Holy Spirit, convict them of their sin. Show them the hope in Christ. Capture their hearts draw them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?